0: Let's fast the Lord for itself. Lord Jesus, we pray you'll give us your Holy Spirit right now for me to speak clearly, prophetically, pastorally as well as biblically. And too, Lord, for every one of us, our hearts to be made alive towards you as we think about the scripture, the word of truth today. Amen. <clears throat> I have three Sunday mornings this January left to preach to you as Senior Pastor of Lighthouse. and uh, I thought to myself, well, what should I bring as an appropriate three-sermon series? Well, it would have to be three sermons about Jesus. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm with a guy called Michael Horton, who wrote a book in 2012, published a book called Christless Christianity the alternative gospel of the American church. Well, he was a British writer right in the back of the American church, but I think that's true of the West as well, not just the American church. We've we've come to a place where people will talk about God, they'll talk about the Bible, they'll talk about faith, but listen to me, they rarely mention Jesus. And what they're preaching is something that's very self-enhancing. It's self-improvement. It's self-help. It's very individualistic. It's very affirming. But it's not about Christ. It's not really the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see... Many supposedly Christian voices will talk about all sorts of things, you know, God, Bible, but rarely mention Jesus. Next time you get a video up on YouTube or something and someone's preaching or whatever else, count, count down. When do they mention Jesus? Oh my goodness, they didn't at all. It's very, very common. Listen, we are Christians. We worship Jesus as God. Secondly, we are Trinitarians. We worship him together with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, God in three persons. These are foundational to Christian faith. We worship Jesus as a member of the Trinity, the eternal unbegotten Son who was made man for us and died on the cross and rose again and now lives and reigns in heaven. We worship Jesus. When we don't speak distinctly and directly about Jesus, and I'm so glad Chris Cartwright did so. that you know, He's not in the frame. Thank you, Chris. When we do not speak directly and distinctly about Jesus, we might as well be a JW or a Mormon. They talk about God. They talk about the Bible. All sorts of sects do that. In fact, we could be almost any sort of religion if we do not focus and center on Jesus. Many others believe in some sort of God, but we trust in Jesus, the Son of God made man for us. Now that, of course, is what offends people. Talk about God, they'll put up with it unless they're rabid atheists. But talk about Jesus, and they react in a very different way, either, pot, either kind of disinterest me positively or very negatively. No, 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 I don't want to talk about it. The Bible talks about the offense of the message of Jesus and of his cross. So what three sermons should I preach about Jesus? Because that's my choice, that's my task. Well, classical Christian theology teaches that Jesus holds three offices towards us. He's our prophet, he speaks to us from God, he's our priest, he makes sacrifice and prayers to God, and he's our king, he rules over us. That's sound teaching but I don't want to do that kind of theology. These Sunday mornings are not theology seminars. You know I could do that at times if I want to. But I need to preach to you pastorally and practically about Jesus because I'm concerned about how we relate to him. And actually, these three sermons are three stages of, I would say, maturity. Starting with today, Jesus as Savior. Next week, Jesus as King. And a fortnight later... Jesus as master. You wonder, why did you do him in that order? You'll see. You'll see. So here we are. Jesus, our saviour. Jesus, our king. Jesus, our master. Who and what Jesus is to us and how we connect to him and relate to him. Today, Jesus as Savior, the mission for which the Son of God was sent into the world was to save his people from their sins matthew one twenty one you 'll call his name Jesus, God, who saves us, Yeshua in Hebrew, though my pronunciation is probably terrible <laughs> um, because he will save his people from their sins we 've all sinned in our forefather adam we 've all personally sinned against god we've we have our own record and history of acts of rebellion lawlessness and disobedience towards God. They've accumulated over the days and years. And so God sent his Son to be our Savior. First of all, Jesus, of course, was our dying Savior. God's law declares that the wages of sin is death. The person or soul, in Old Testament language, whose sins must die. So to become our Savior from sin, Jesus came as the sinless one, lived a sinless life, and then on the cross, took on, bore in himself all our sin, every offense, every act of rebellion, lawlessness, disobedience, and died our death. Old Testament animal sacrifices pointed towards that day at Golgotha when the blood of a sinless, perfect sacrifice would take away the sin of the world. That work of salvation by blood, by sacrifice, in and by Jesus, was completed at the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. No one can pay for, or make up for, or make reconciliation for their sin. Jesus has done it. You can't do it. We don't do our good deeds to outweigh our bad ones nor punish ourselves for the wrongs we have done, though the law of our land may require us to be punished for acts which have harmed others. Jesus has borne our punishment for our, borne our condemnation. He has made peace with God for us. He has made reconciliation for us. He brings forgiveness to us because of his cross, because of his death. That's where we begin to know Jesus as Savior at the cross. He died in my place for my sin. Then he's, of course, our risen Savior. Jesus was laid in a tomb at the end of that day, but rose again on the third day and left an empty tomb and grave clothes as witnesses to the fact that he just wasn't there anymore. He's not here. He's risen. He ascended to heaven, returned to the Father, where he lives and reigns now for us. More on his reign as king next Sunday. But for now, let's be reminded the scripture, Hebrews, Colossians, and sorry, Corinthians and others tell us that we have someone in heaven who lives and prays for us, makes intercession for us. We have an advocate in heaven. Someone who speaks on our behalf. And he sends an advocate to be with us on earth, the Holy Spirit, who speaks to us what Jesus wants us to hear. Now, here, in our minds, in our hearts. There is communication between heaven and earth. Not angels ascending a ladder, but Jesus appearing in heaven and the Holy Spirit witnessing to us. and Teaching us and encouraging us and equipping us here on earth. Jesus lives. And Jesus represents us. The Lord Jesus sends and gives the Holy Spirit to us so that we are not alone. We weren't left as orphans. We're not helpless, but we're strengthened and equipped to live this life of faith in Jesus. But he's also, in another sense, our living Savior. One of my most favorite hymns is Name of Jesus' Highest Name, written in the early 1700s by a chap called Gerhard Testigen Here's one of the middle verses connects what I've just said and what I'm just about to say. Jesus gives forgiveness free. Jesus cleanses all my stains. Jesus gives his life to me. Jesus always, he remains. Jesus gave his life for me at the cross. But now Jesus continues to give his life to me. Through the Holy Spirit. He brings the life of Jesus to me. To make me, to keep me alive, really alive. I don't just mean I don't just mean alive and not sick and dying, and thank God I'm not doing that today. I mean life in the way that Jesus promised it. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to all its fullness. Life as it was meant to be, life as it's supposed to be, the kind of life God made us to have. Which is not about more and more and more of this and this and that. It's about living from a full heart, a full experience of living in the grace of God and the love of God. Life to the full. John begins to close his gospel account with these words, John 20. Many things could have been written about Jesus, he said. Jesus formed many other signs in his his resurrection, he means, in the presence of disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may be religious and go to church on Sunday. No. That believing you may have life in his name. Life 24-7. Day after day. Day after day. Jesus also described himself in this way. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. He's comparing himself to the manna in the Old Testament. The children of Israel were fed for decades in the wilderness by the Lord sending manna, which was like, a, like something that crystallized on the ground and they could make, make cakes with it, sort of thing. Every day, fresh food from heaven nourished them. Jesus says, every day, I am your bread from heaven. We feast on Him. We rejoice in Him. For us every day, Jesus is the bread of life. We'll come back to that when we break bread later. He gave His life for us on the cross. He now gives His life to us. We're truly alive in this world. So every big rugby occasion in Wales, the Welsh crowd sing this before the rugby starts. They sing... Come, Ronda. guide me, O oh, thy great Jehovah. I could put in my Welsh accent and put in my voice. But they sing the chorus. And when they sing the chorus, they think, oh, I wish that half of them believed this was true at least. Bread of heaven, feed me now and evermore. That's a prayer to Jesus. Bread of heaven, feed me, fill me. Let my life be full of you and your goodness and your grace. Then he's our returning savior too. One day, this world will end. Now the world has become a scarier place in recent months. COVID pandemic, Russian and Chinese belligerence in geopolitics, the rise of dictatorships in a number of nations, our British economy moving to higher costs of living, which will of course mean for many of us lower standards of living. But I'm not talking about the world ending by any of those things at all. Because the Bible tells us this world will end on the last day when Jesus returns. That's what we're looking for. When he raises all the dead, judges all mankind, and brings his people home forever. That day will bring our final and complete salvation by Jesus our Savior, because then sin will be eradicated from his creation. Sin will be no more. Death will be no more. And our physical being will not just be simply restored, if we have died and we've been buried and so on, but be gloriously transformed and reconfigured to be similar in its power and in its glory and excellence to that which Jesus has, His resurrection body. So the apostolic writers speak within the same sentences and the same paragraphs of the wrath of God coming upon unbelieving people in that last day, but the saints being transfigured, being transformed, glorifying Jesus. On that day, for those who have been saved through faith in Jesus, the day of judgment for others will be the day of their salvation. Final, lasting, completed. Nothing can spoil us. Nothing then can ever harm us in any way ever again. Don't you love the scripture that says, in that day God will wipe away the tears from their eyes? No more crying. No more reason to be ever sad or confused or disappointed ever again. I said I want to make the connection here. These truths about Jesus and shape who we are and how we live. Some of you will have heard this from me a number of times by now, but for quite a few centuries now, certainly from maybe late 1600s, early 1700s, the Protestant church has focused much upon conversion, the day, the moment, the experience by which we came to faith in Jesus. Now that's good. It's a good emphasis. George Whitfield in the 1700s preached in Britain and in America, you must be born again. He used to preach to tens of thousands of people. Down on, how many of you have been to Greenwich, to Woolwich, uh, to Blackheath Common, just outside Greenwich Conserv- Conserv- Observatory? Do you know that area? There? you need to get around London a bit more folks and explore your hinterland anyway it's a big common it's said that he preached to tens of thousands of people on that common and they could all hear him, he must have had a voice like a foghorn you must be born again one one duke of the, of the realm came in his horse and cart and sat on the injured crowd and heard him and he asked an audience you know, to speak to Mr. Whitfield. He said, Mr. Whitfield, you're a fine preacher, but you, you, do you really believe that even people like me need to be born again? He said, why do you preach that? He said, because you must be born again. It's true, but that is not all the truth. It's not the only thing there is to say about Jesus or that the Gospel wants us to understand. The focus on conversion... And and evangelism, getting people to make a decision, make a decision, make a decision, has put us off balance. People think that becoming a Christian is making a decision. And that the decision then gives them like the path to heaven. It's not your decision or conversion that saves you from your sins. It's Jesus the Savior who saves you from your sins. So let me draw this morning's subject of Jesus' Savior towards an end. I've got a couple more pages, but towards the end. This is famous. Many, many Christians, many, many theologians will, will testify to these statements. I want you to write them down. I want you to memorize them. I want you to be, start to say them to yourself sometimes. I have been saved by Jesus, I am being saved by Jesus. And I trust, I hope, I believe that I will be saved by Jesus. The first looks back to the cross, to my own experience, to my conversion, to my baptism, to my receiving the Spirit, and I say, I I know by these things, by what happened before I was ever born. Jesus died for me on the cross and rose again for my justification. By the things he's done already in me and for me. I believe that I am saved by Jesus. Today, whatever happens, He is my Savior. He is my helper. He will save me today. And I trust... I can't tell the future. I don't know if I'm going to get a positive test this during this week and I won't be able to be here next Sunday. Can I predict that? No. But I trust that I will be saved by Jesus through the circumstances and situations of life until the very end, when either I die and he receives me to himself or I'm still alive and I see him on that last day. Jesus, let me go through those again, Jesus has saved me. He's my savior because he came for me, lived for me and died for me and rose again for me. The sinless one took my sin, my death in my place. I can add nothing to the finished work of Jesus. All I do is I live by the grace of God that he has released to me by his finished work. In fact, Paul in particular urges us to go back again and again to the events of Easter and to our baptism in water and to record: Jesus died for me, I died with Christ. Jesus rose again for me, I am raised again, pulled out of the water again to new life in Christ Jesus. So he says, count yourself. He repeats this in numerous places. Count yourself as dead to sin and alive to Christ. Amen. Jesus has saved me. Jesus has, is saving me. Jesus saves me now. Another old hymn written by an Anglican cleric in the early 1900s was of great help to me as a new Christian in my teens. Again, very simple chorus. I think the Pentecostals may even have added this chorus, to be honest, because the version I had has this chorus. I can't tell you how many times I sang this chorus when it was in my my late teens as a new Christian. Jesus saves me now. Jesus saves me now. Yes, Jesus saves me all the time. Jesus saves me now. It's a song of victory. One of the verses is, Jesus is stronger than Satan and sin. Satan to Jesus must bow. Therefore I triumph without and within, for Jesus saves me now. We don't think like this anywhere near enough. Jesus who has saved me, is saving me now. In this crisis. In this situation. In this difficulty. If I will trust him, he still now is and will be my savior, here's how Paul puts it Romans 5, verse 10. It's in the middle of a long argument. In Romans, never mind. For if when we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? I don't know. I I could count on one. No, probably the only people I've heard preach on that is me and the ones I've looked up, famous preachers like R.C. Sproul and um, DM, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and John Piper. I've heard those guys preach this verse. That verse hardly ever gets preached on because our idea is Jesus paid for it all on the cross so I get to live it all now and so I can have a wonderful life. No, I'm being saved by his life through his life. I need his life in me to live the way that I should be living. God didn't come to improve the life I had. He came to give me a completely new one. Not for me to go on in the way I used to be, loving the world, loving possessions, loving money, but to live a whole new life, which is the life of Jesus in me. The life of God and the soul of man, as an old Puritan writer put it. He saves you by his life. He gives you his life. And saving faith is not a moment's transaction. It's for us a way of life. Remember Hebrews 2.4, the righteous will live by faith. Here's Paul riffing on that, we might say. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The life I now live in this body is not the same one. It's now Christ-centered. It's Christ's life being put into me, energizing my being. And Jesus will save me. This is the language of hope. Hope is faith facing forward into the future. Not knowing the future, but trusting God for the future. We don't know what will happen during this week, this month. I'm hoping we don't get too many disturbances before, you know, mess up the 30th of January. But anyway, we've learned over two years now that any plan we make can easily be broken. And while you may be brave enough to travel, you might struggle to get back home, you know, all of those things. But he who has saved me is saving me and will save me. Some of us will not live to see the last days. The last day, I should say. I'm not trying to put you down, all right? But a lot of Christians over many centuries have believed that they were in the last days, and so far they all got it gloriously wrong. All right? God bless them. They're in heaven. But we will be raised to immortality at the appearing of our Lord Jesus. In other words, we may not all die before Jesus returns, but some of us probably will die. So let me say this, that in the day and hour of our death, Jesus will be our Savior. He will bring us home. He will receive us to himself. His promises at that moment will be most precious. We must think more carefully about how we speak of those who died as believers in Jesus. Do you know that passing away was a phrase that came from the woman who started Christian scientism? It's not a Christian way of speaking about someone dying at all. They passed away. Christians don't pass away, they move on. They go to heaven. They go to Jesus. Yeah? We may mourn their passing, we may miss them. But they are filled with joy and peace in his presence. That is what we believe. Here's Paul writing towards the very end of his life. Second Timothy. I know whom I've believed, and I'm convinced, King James says, persuaded that he's able to guard that which I have entrusted to him for that day. The day of Jesus' coming, the day of resurrection, or even the day of his death, because Paul knew that he was going to die very soon. He's going to be martyred. He's going to be killed with sword, a sword—a Roman sword—through his neck. Here he is again, in Philippians one twenty-one. For me to live is Christ; to die, well, I'd rather not. No, to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I love Him, gave Him so for me. To die is gain. One of the early martyrs said to the disciples as he was traveling towards Rome where he knew, he wasn't Paul, it was a few generations later, And, and his friends, his disciples, the people he'd been caring for were walking along the road with him and they were crying, they were crying, they were crying. Finally stopped them and he turned around and said, stop crying for me, I'm going to Jesus. Am I crying? I shall soon be with him. This truth that Jesus is our Savior meets our needs not just once a week on a Sunday morning but 24-7. Whatever you're facing, whatever trials you're enduring, even if you're you're sick and ill at home right now, I want you to remember these words again. I have been saved by Jesus. Today, I still am saved. Being saved by Jesus. I'm not a finished work. I, I, I'm not ready for heaven yet. But I am still being saved by Jesus. And I trust that I will be saved by Jesus. Let me say a word to parents. The kids are out right now, so they can't hear me say this, although the older ones can. Parents, teach your children about Jesus. It's never too early to start never to start with very simple Bible stories and to take, tell them about Jesus. When you talk to children, even children have no Christian background whatsoever. You tell them something about Jesus and the way he dealt with people and the way he did with children. Their eyes widen, their mouths open. There's a seed there we need to nurture. Let them know that Jesus loves them. I am so grateful. One of the earliest songs I ever le- heard and I could sing as well was Jesus loves me this I know before the Bible tells me so. Tell them that they have a saviour for life and they can, they can never be too young to begin to trust him. Amen? Do it. Raise your children to love Jesus. For some, you need to start today to trust him to ask him to be today your saviour and from today to continue to be your saviour. For we do not have a back ticket in our pocket we pull out when we get to heaven. We follow Jesus all the way there. It's a walk. It's a journey with him. From being dead in sin to arriving in glory, we are walking with Jesus. It's a life of faith. Let's pray. Then we're going to watch a video before, to take a moment of reflection before we, we break bread together. <coughs> You've heard, Mia, many, some of you a number of times, to call people not to just a moment of faith but to a life of faith. A walk of faith. Believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, following Him. We'll develop this over the next couple of weeks. How we relate to Jesus. How we relate to him as Lord, as King. Thirdly, how we relate to him as Master and even Friend. This morning, it starts with Jesus giving his life for you at the cross and giving his life to you. Day by day, bread from heaven. Perhaps you made a beginning. Perhaps you have a a time in your life when you know you were converted, you came to faith in Jesus. Well, how's how's that doing? How's that growing? How's the journey going, folks? Or did you get stuck somewhere? This Life of faith is a day-by-day-by-day by day by day experience. For some, you maybe haven't started. You, you knew you you're new, you're around, you're a youngster, you're, you're someone who's growing up in a Christian home. Have you started this life of faith, trusting in Jesus? Ask Him today to be your Savior, to give you that beginning, that start of trusting Him. Take a moment and do it. Father, hear the prayerful hearts that are being opened to you right now and hear an answer through your dear Son, Jesus, we pray. Holy Spirit, bring new life and faith into the hearts of many as we start this new year together. For Jesus' sake, amen. amen. Amen.